I love how you're expecting me to remember. I suppose I haven't had COVID. You haven't had COVID. But I, my memory is shit at the best of times. So, uh... Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews, and whatever else takes our fancy. I am your host, Kirsten McDermott. With me is my co-host, Ian Mond. How are you, Ian? I'm okay. You sounded hesitant. Well, you've you've had the the spicy cough, and and I've had the the dreaded COVID. Yes, and I it haven't has not treated me well. I, yeah, it has not looked after you, and I haven't yet. Um, yeah, but I rely on you <laughs> for remembering things. And oh, we're in trouble. Yeah, this is going to be a very bizarre episode. I think. Uh, I, I do apologise, sisters, because one of the lingering effects, which I hope is just a lingering effect and not <clears throat> some kind of beginning of long COVID, is my my brain has changed. I, my memory's not so good, my short-term memory especially. And I will just say that I, I read one of these books we're about to talk about um, pre-COVID and then one of them I'd started and finished while I was um, recovering. And it is really, in some ways, like I read them about five years ago. Not, not, not helped by the fact that we're running two weeks late, on and we're this. running a little bit late. From my perspective, I'm, I'm pretty much. Well, I haven't had the COVID. I, re- you know, I finished these over a month ago, and so. And you've read a lot since. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, Whereas I have not, because I'm finding reading to be a little difficult at the moment in terms of processing words on the page and well well I can read but I it, it is has been a little bit difficult to retain um, information and weirdly more so for fiction than for non-fiction so if I'm reading non-fiction that is something I seem to be able to retain not too badly as I'm reading fiction not so much it feels like I think I've mentioned this before I have trouble reading I have trouble listening to audiobooks and I and I tracked it down to you know when when you read fiction uh, most of us, me definitely, you know, you, you'll read it and, and phrases, scenes, things will, will set your mind kind of wandering on, on little tangents, right? It's what it's meant to do. This is what fiction does. It engages you. It makes you think. And when I'm reading a book on the page, that's no problem because the page stays there, but an audiobook will keep reading without me. <laughs> and then I'll kind of come back <laughs> I like that. and go, oh, hang on, wait, wait, you skipped ahead. I need to go back. So I find... I can listen to podcasts, non-fiction podcasts, interviews and all of that, because I think when I skip ahead that 10 seconds, it doesn't matter so much. You still pick up the flow of what people were saying. But with fiction, you, 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 you don't. And now reading on the page kind of feels a bit like that. I think that's what happens is I have the same kind of tangential thoughts, but then I can't remember where I was on the page. So I have to reread a bit. So fiction is a bit of a struggle at the moment, but hopefully that's getting better. So I've not actually read anything since I read these two books in terms of fiction. Um, so your lasting impression of fiction, more broadly, is the final <laughs> pages of Such a Pretty Smile by Christy Demeester. No, I, I remember, but it's just not with the clarity that I, I might have. But the point is if you never read a book, a fiction book again, your last memories of fiction would be oh. the final few pages. <laughs> I am going somewhere with this. I've such you a are going. Smile. So I see. I see where you're going with that, and and I would. I would not like uh, spoilers. I would not like that to be my final. Okay, that's good. Take away from the world of fiction. Thank I you. will definitely read more fiction. 
Good. But before we get on to yes. that, we'll just say the two books we're reading this month are Such a Pretty Smile by Christy Demeester and Check Out 19 by Claire Louise Bennett, both of which are novels, both of which are very different novels to each other. Such a Pretty Smile sits squarely in the horror genre and uh, Check Out 19 is... Well, we'll talk about what genre Checkout 19 is when we get to it. Uh, it's not a simple answer, people. But to begin with, we are going to talk about Such a Pretty Smile, and I shall read the back cover of the book. Leela Sawyer is a teenager disturbed by urges she cannot explain. At the same time, her mother Carolyn's own repressed past begins to surface, and she understands the beast that nearly once destroyed her is back and coming for her daughter. Horrifying and beautiful, unsettling and unapologetic, this electrifying debut is a deliciously evil fever dream and an untamed rallying cry for any woman who has ever been told to sit down, shut up and smile pretty. So I don't know if that's the extent of what might be on Goodreads and so on. No, but, it'll um, be, so uh, I've got the original US hardcover and it is mm-hmm. uh, extremely long because one, one of the things the, the blurb does is um, describe one of the structural conceits of the book, which is the 2019-2004 toggling, how it toggles between the two time periods. But, I mean, that description is actually pretty good because it doesn't give a lot away. It, you know, it, it does no, set it yeah. up. Yeah, and, and, and unfortunately the description on the hardcover is really long and basically it gives tells a lot you, more away. Oh, well, yeah, and you sort of don't really need to read the book. Unfortunate. <laughs> we, won't, we won't worry about so reading I'm not, that I'm not going to read it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, as, as you say, the, the structure of this novel is it begins in 2019 uh, it's it's third person, but it's third person direct. And it begins in 2019 with Leela, the daughter, her point of view. Um, and it it doesn't alternate chapters. It You have great sections of it that are Leela, and then it will go to Carolyn back in 2004. So you've got a 15-year difference, and it, it just goes back and forth between mother and daughter and their points of view. And, and Carolyn's point of view, so Leela is about 14. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Carolyn's point of view is uh, begins before she's pregnant with Leela um, and kind of continues after she gets pregnant and separates from Leela's father. And, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's before Leela is even in the picture, except as uh, towards the end of Carolyn's 2004 narrative. And, and that's the structure. And I think overall the structure works really well. It does. No, um, that's one of, the, one of the really interesting, one of the things, I re- so I've already played my hand as to what I think of the ending of this book. Uh, but before that, the structural aspects of the books are great. Mm. In fact, I really enjoyed the way that the voice switches, uh, uh, twi- you know, from a sort of young adult. Oh, she does a really good job of differentiating yes. these voices. Oh, yeah. she does an, a really, really good job. Um, yeah, and, and the Caroline of 2019, who we only see through Leela's perspective, is very is different and the same as the Caroline of 2004, uh, who, we, who we see through her perspective, which is what yeah. another nice touch that I really, really it, liked. It, it, it is really good. I read a couple of reviews that were talking about Carolyn as a, a helicopter parent. And I kind of like sat back at that. And, I mean, I hate that phrase anyway, but I sat back at that and went, but no, she, no, she's not. And then I realized that actually, if you only looked at Leela's point of view, yeah. yeah, she, she is a bit, but because you get so much of Carolyn and you understand her situation, you understand her anxieties by the end of the book, I don't, 
I don't think you walk you would walk away with that impression at at all. You know, the perception that she might be overprotective or, you know, someone who's too controlling of her daughter, you know exactly where that comes from and it's right. She's right. She's she is dealing with post traumatic stress. <laughs> yeah, but she's also right. Like, yeah, I mean, and she's spot on, correct. Yes. You know, um so you don't walk away from the book thinking that. But yes, yeah, certainly if you know, from from the passages that are from Lee or the chapters that are from Leela's perspective. Um, yeah, that, that is the impression you are, you are meant to get. You're meant to, to meet Carolyn thinking she's one of these very overprotective mothers. She's a, she's a single mother and she's very overprotective of her daughter and, and resistant to her daughter be- becoming a young woman, right? She's, she's very much wanting to keep her daughter in, in, in childhood. Not, not in a creepy way, but just she's, you know, every time there's sort of a suggestion that her daughter is becoming a teenager and then a young woman and, and, you know, sexually active and all that sort of stuff, Carolyn's very resistant to that. But we then understand through, through Carolyn's perspective exactly why that is. And it's justified and it's correct. But it's, it's really interesting when you were talking about the voice before, because it is third person. Like the whole book yes, is third person. It is. But Demisa does this great job of shifting the language, the sentence structures, you know, in a very subtle way. But it, it does, even though it's third person, it does still, you know, the, the writing changes, that the voice does change and it does link you more solidly to Leela in her sections and more to Carolyn in hers. It's quite remarkable. So, look. Like you say, the writing is terrific. And actually, the story is a real, I hate saying this cliche, but it's a real page turner. I, at the time that I read this, <laughs> is. so many, many years ago, um, I, I, no, I'm kidding, um, I, I zipped through it. I really, really enjoy See, okay, so, so, so I, I think I should go, go back a step. I've been reading a lot of probably not core genre fiction. Um, mm-hmm. Checkout 19 is a really good example of that, actually, of the sort of stuff that I have been reading. And I, I haven't, and I've sort of lost the taste and love for um, the sort of book that Such a Pretty Smile is, that sort of core uh, genre uh, horror novel, you know, very yeah. much in the field, in the community, written by an author who's well known within that community, etc. I've sort of stopped doing that. I don't know if I'm growing. How dare you? I know. Well, either I I, I don't want to say I grew out of it because it implies that it's something to grow out of, and it isn't. It's just my tastes have changed. That's all. Yeah. But but I realised reading this at least the first ninety percent. Yeah, I'll go that far. That this was just enjoyable. It was so so much fun to read. Um, It really was. I got. I really. I, I just. I just tucked into it like a like a good steak. It was. Just, it was just fun, and 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 this is where. And can I just make? I just want to make a broader point, and then I'll shut up. Mm-hmm. This is where I get angry with certain people on the Twitterverse and the Facebookverse, who constantly make these distinctions between literary fiction, which has no plot, being pretentious and silly, versus genre fiction that is very plot uh, focused. And we're about to talk about two books that are exactly on those two that spectrum, both sides of that spectrum, and. To me, if you are someone who is willing to open your mind and be a bit more eclectic, there's no reason why you can't love both. And and by the way, and by the way, that argument I see on both sides. I see the people who are checkout nineteen type fans who would never touch this book because it's too plotty and Vicky Verka. Okay, and this is just this is where we get the literary genre divide, and it just shits me to death. It really does. Yeah. 
But but also, I mean, look, I, I will read widely and always have, but I will be. I, I'll, if a book is is pure plot and the characters are not developed and they're just you know cardboard cutouts on the page, vehicles to move the plot, that will interest me very little um, because I am I'm much more engaged with a book when the, the characters are developed and they feel like people and there's something really interesting about you know what is happening to them i'm also not averse to reading you know uh, fiction which is a bit more abstract if it's if that's what it's meant to be doing but when it's when it is um you know a pure which is really difficult i don't think there is anything that's pure plot but when it's the characters are, are, are very underdeveloped or cliched or characters, yeah, with the, with the characters that really does service, interest me they're in service yet, to the plot but you know there are so. there are readers who are like that's fine yeah i don't care i just want to know the plot I just want to give me the story yeah and that's fine whereas i'll be much more sympathetic to a book which which doesn't have a lot of conventional plot elements if the characters or the narrator or the, what it's talking about is really, really engaging. So I, I can see where, you know, you, you, you know, where your preferences might lie, but that is different from saying, well, those books that I don't like are rubbish because there's no plot or because it's all plot or, you know, you, you just, you just can't say that everybody's reading tastes are different. And within any of those areas, they're going to be good books and bad books. It's extraordinary how common I see it on the Twitterverse. I know. Facebook first. And I, it, I know. it just shits me every single time. And, and look, and the other thing is that, as you say, the characters in this are, as we just discussed, Lila and Caroline are really well defined. Uh, yeah. It's just an incredibly character centered book. Really well realized. Um, and, 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 I'll re- and Caroline, for example, and one of the things the book does, as well as it deals with art and creativity and expression, how to, you know, and female expression. This was, this was so in my ballpark. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, expressing yourself as a uh, teenager versus expressing yourself as a 20-something and then as an, as a, an older woman. And it, it's, it's, it does that so well, it does, which is why the ending is so disappointing. <laughs> I, I know. Um, oh, my I, God. I was. I mean, there's a ball <laughs> and the ball. Is it just dropped? It's there punctured multiple times with a very sharp blade and spat on. That's what happens <laughs> with the ball. And, I, and then, I, then another bunch of horrible things. I have to spoil it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have to. I, 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 we are we are definitely going to spoil the book, which we often do. So you you folks know what you're in for. But if you don't want to know about the ex- actual exact ending of such a pretty smile, then skip forward to check out 19 until you've read that and, and come back. Yeah, uh, I, I was I was loving the book. I was loving Leela's sections. I adored Carolyn's sections. All the art and creativity stuff and sexual awareness for Leela, the sexual growth and emergence. Yeah, like it know. was all good. It was one of those books with where, where both both uh, perspectives were equally engaging. Yeah. So I would I would be, be reading Leela's section and it would flip to Carolyn's section. I'd have this small moment of, oh, no, Leela's gone. But then, but then it's like, oh, but it's Carolyn. And, you know, like both stories were really engaging. Both stories had a lot of meat in them, a lot of stuff happening. It wasn't like one was the main story and the other one was just, oh, we're just going to, you know, put filler here or we're just going to offer this second thing. They were both really interesting stories. I did think occasionally some, because part of what this is, as readers may have 
inferred from um, the, the the back cover copy and, and so on. Part of it is, uh, you know, a critique of uh, how how women are often treated and there's some gaslighting and, you know. And bearing in mind, Carolyn's story is set in 2004, so some of her interactions with psychologists and so on are just skin crawly. And I did... I did find myself wondering occasionally if it wasn't taken just a little too too far or, or just too much black and white. But then I remember all the shit I read about how women are treated in the medical establishment and how they're not believed and their experience is not believed and they're, they're you know, written off as, you know, hysterics or hypochondriacs or, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, no, I think this is fair. All of which was undermined just a little bit by the ending. No, and then the completely, end- <laughs> completely. Well, so it's not on the yeah. nose. It's not. It's really well done until the ending when it becomes so on the nose. And can I just explain why? Let's yeah. let's get to the point. The villain is given a voice, and that to me is fine in principle. I mean, Stephen King would often do it, um, but here the villain is given a voice where basically it explains what it's doing. Uh, in such a cumbersome, torturous, lacking mm. subtlety way, you think, "Oh my god!" I mean, just twirl your moustache for Christ's sakes. That's <laughs> that's 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 where that's where it gets and, to. And and when we say villain, it's a monster. It's a monster, correct? It's 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 not a like you you may see things around about a serial killer and so on. Um, it, it's a it's a monster. It's a non realist horror. Monster that we're dealing essentially with. Essentially, the patriarchy. Of, sort of like it, the right? patriarchy the as a. Yeah, yeah. It's the patriarchy as a wolf that feeds on women's uh, rebellious <laughs> nature. Light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a shape shifting creature of some kind. But it did, it did remind me of um, the, the, the monster that that in some instances manifests as Pennywise. Yeah, Penny, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly what it reminded me of as well. Yeah. And Pennywise talks too. But. Yeah. Uh, here, it's the, this monster provides its manifesto, and you think, "Oh, for fuck's sakes, why, why do that?" <laughs> so that's that, that was my one point problem. The second problem I had was that a, a character is parachuted in in literally the last fifteen pages, who is yeah. really important, not to the actual end climax, but to what happens to. Leela and Carolyn, whatever. Well, well, yeah, not well. Anyway, Leela. Anyway, moving forward. Okay. Yeah. And they come out of nowhere. They're they're literally, and and one of their roles is to explain. Like the whole chapter is a conversation, pretty much between Leela and this person to explain everything that's happened in the book. Half of, at least half of which, if not more, the reader already knows. That's bang. Thank you. Yes. And it's see, just like, why, why? See, halfway through the book, uh, Demisa does this really good thing with, um, I think it's the Carolyn section where she meets uh, the cop. Because mm. there's been... Yeah, the retired, the retired detective. The yeah. retired detective. Because this has been all uh, looked at as serial killings over the last, you know, because it pops up every 15 years and whatever. Anyway... Um, and, 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 and a lot of what we're told, we're told in that last chapter is essentially told to us in the middle of the book. So why is it there? Yeah, it, it's told to us in the middle of the book or, or the monster has told us what yeah. it's doing. Like there is not much new information. There might be a couple loose ends tied off that we didn't need tied off that is delivered by that character in the last ch- chapter. And then there's an epilogue. But I that 
that last chapter was like, man, I don't, I have no idea why that was there. I'm not saying it is, but it feels like something that's akin to some movies where there's a lot of meddling and, and something going, I don't think the audience will understand this. You need to add a scene which will explain blah, blah, blah. And it feels like, and I'm absolutely not saying it is, but it feels like from the strength of the book that came before it, it, it is, you know, an editor going, I don't like, we, I don't really understand. I don't think readers will understand. And I think you need to add a chapter at the end that explains what, what's happening in this book. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that is what happened at all. I have no idea, but it feels so tacked on like that. I'm not saying it either, but like you, I got the exact same feel that the, that the Christy Demista of 300 pages is not the mm. same Christy Demista of the last 15, because it feels, t- it is tacked, is as tacked on an ending as I've read in a long time. Yeah. I mean, even if you'd gotten, I don't know, if, if that last thing had been the, the retired detective who somehow, you know, her interest w- was sparked by these new killings and somehow was able to, yeah. to deduce where they were and came in, at least you'd have a connection back to the book. But I think that new character who's parachuted in is referenced by the detective as one of the two it's women. It's referenced, yeah, yeah. But, 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 she's referenced. But we literally don't meet her. In fact, I don't. I don't even recall what her name we've is. We've never. We've never <laughs> met her. We. We. You know. And it, it's just the exposition in that last chapter was so deflating because a, like I said, we know most of it. If we haven't been explicitly told it by someone in the book, we've we've inferred it by what's happened. So more than half of what we're told in that last chapter is like, yep, I know, yep, yep, I know, yep, you've told me this before, yep, I know, I know, I know. And some of it is like, oh, that's new information, but it's not really that important. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's not only structurally a strange chapter, it's just incredibly tedious to read. And for that to be the takeaway of this book... It's really, really sad because it's such a wonderful book up until that point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm just I, really sad. I'm, I, I, just remembering it again. And, again, both of us really haven't looked at this book for four weeks or so, and I, I'm feeling devastated. <laughs> I mean, I, I do a lot of manuscript assessment as as you know, just part of the stuff that I do. If this had come to me as a manuscript, my advice 100% to the author would have been, you don't need that last chapter. Get Just cut it. Just absolutely cut it. But also reshape keep, the ending. Maybe reshape the epilogue, reshape the yeah. epilogue, but cut this last chapter. It, it is not needed. I, I Get think, rid of it. I it's think done. the stuff with Leela and how she's now sort of taken on her mother's mantle and, and, and also, you know, is, is fighting a fight against whatever this entity is, is really good and mm. empowering. Yeah. But it doesn't need the parachuted character to sort of no, provide support. That whole chapter can go, and and some of that can be weaved into the epilogue. Correct, and so then, we get an impression of what's happening in the and, future. But and frankly, I wouldn't have given the villain a voice, the monster a voice. I wouldn't have given the monster a voice beyond maybe some enigmatic. I mean, I just wouldn't have because it works. Mm. Because you, we've got to know, but the prior to the monster actually revealing itself, it's in the shadows a lot of the time. And taking on different forms, as you said, it's a shape changer. Mm. And there is, and and what I think Demisa does brilliantly is that, in a sense, the the monster is constantly gaslighting its victims. I mean, constantly, and it does it really well. So the moment it then instantiates itself as a real thing and says, yeah, I'm, yeah, here I am, um, you lose that. Here's what my mission is. Here's why I've done all this. You lose all that subtlety. And look, I know we need to have a climax. I get that. 
I get the book has to go <laughs> end. I mean, it did. Like, it has a really good climax. You didn't need all that exposition yeah, around that, it. You didn't correct. need it. Um, it, it feels like um, one of these books where the reader is not trusted to, A, infer a lot of what has happened and maybe not with 100% accuracy but enough to go, yeah, I get the picture of why this is happening. And maybe I still have questions but I don't need them all answered. So it's not trusting us to do that and also not maybe not not trusting us to be happy with that either. You know, thinking if we don't have all the answers and we don't know why everything happened with absolute clarity, we're not going to enjoy the book and we're going to walk away going, oh, well, that didn't explain everything. So it's kind of like a double mistrust. And as one of those readers who 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 is capable of inferring, and most readers are, and, and is, is more than happy to, to finish a book or a film or something with not 100% of everything resolved and explained, I, I, yeah, I don't like that level of mistrust. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. I agree. And it, it is just really sad because, like, there is so much in this book to love. There were, like, there are genuinely horrific and terrifying scenes in this book, genuinely, where you actually get a visceral sort of, you know, you, you get goosebumps and, and the, the hair stands up, like all yeah. of those cliched stuff. But genuinely, genuinely in this book, there are scenes in there where it's like, holy fuck, that was scary. Or that was oh, unbelievable. But, but even, even even there's a terrific scene with Leela and her her friend or frenemy in the movie theater where she just oh, starts yeah. <laughs> saying the truth about the, their relationship, yeah. and it's just so brutal. It is, yeah, brutal shit. I mean, there are amazing amazing scenes. The the dialogue is really well done. The the relationships between the characters are done with with subtlety most of the time. Like that relationship with Leela and her friend whose name I'm afraid I can't remember, um, is done like the reader knows exactly what's happened, exactly what this relationship is, what the sort of toxicity it is. We don't hate the friend either. And I think that's really important because we understand that her friend is also a really insecure, you know, early teenage girl who, who is trying to navigate her way in the world and trying to be a girl in a world that very much doesn't want her to be in the world in any other way than pretty and available. And we get that. So her friend isn't portrayed as this, you know, horrible person. Like we understand that. And we understand that despite Leela's perspective, it's like, it's beautifully subtly drawn. And I really appreciated that. Um, And the relationship between Leela and her mother and the way it shifts. But also the relationship between Caroline and the girl she's tutoring in her chapters with the, yeah, which and yep. then the mother of that of that girl again, we've forgotten the name, so apologies. But that mother who could easily, who actually is probably a helicopter parent to some degree, uh, <laughs> to a little but, bit, but yeah. could just be all very black and white, but isn't. But you can you get straight away yeah. and saying, "Oh, okay, I see why you treat your daughter this way." I can, I mean, it's not great, but I can, you know, all that's there, and it's not explained in di- necessarily mm. in dialogue. It's just there for us to infer. Yeah, no, no one sits down and and you know in a conversation. <laughs> and exposits to the reader why why people are doing what they're doing like it you you can you can just tell it is really skillfully done and the relationship between carolyn and daniel who is her fiance and and will become the father of leela that is really beautifully drawn 
and he's awful. Like he is an asshole. He he's threatened by Carolyn's talent. He he's also an artist, and he very much wants himself in the spotlight. He's possibly not as good an artist as Carolyn, but he's certainly a different type of an artist. And he's he's just wholly threatened by her talent and and the recognition, any recognition that she gets. And you kind of sus- suspect that, but also in the way that Carolyn questions his actions and what he says and why he's saying them. And in 2004, when we're looking at her story, she's in a really, really stressful situation. Her father is um, in a care home and he's dying, uh, but it's, it's, he's ill. Like he's, 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 he has a long drawn out um, time in this care home, which is really expensive. So she's also working, which is why she is working to tutor this other girl that we mentioned. She's just in an incredibly stressful situation. She hasn't got time or money to do her own art because she's you know bouncing between these tuition jobs and caring for her dad and trying to work out where the money's coming from, which all the way through I'm thinking, why isn't Daniel with his good job helping her pay for this care for her, for her father and his father-in-law but anyway whatever um you know people's money is their own business um but she she, well you know but she just like demista draws this relationship so well that along with carolyn half the time you are second guessing am i am i judging daniel too harshly here (laughs) until absolutely you realize you weren't like it's just so beautifully done and it's not heavy-handed and it's not over the top and she puts you in carolyn's shoes perfectly as i've said 90 percent of this novel is amazing and the writing is perfect and the tone is perfect and then you get to the end and it's like what the actual fuck just happened <laughs> not in a good way so that's a good that's a good segue in my view to a book that neither has a beginning middle or end <laughs> but, well, it, it has them all, but they're iterative. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. So you, we could. This is check out nineteen. Yeah, I was getting there. But I'm running this podcast. It's okay. my turn. Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't take my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's check out nineteen by Claire Louise Bennett, which I chose for this podcast. <laughs> and why, why did you choose this one? <laughs> Because I'm actually interested why you chose this one. Because okay, so Claire Louise Bennett is an author. I believe the book was called Pond, uh, which I didn't read and felt like I, <laughs> no. Well, yeah, it was. It is called Pond. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I love it. <laughs> it, it it's it, it's uh, it's interesting because Pond um, was has been much adored and loved by those who adore and love literary novels. And I was meaning to read it, never got around to it, but I decided, okay, uh, I, then I heard Checkout 19 was out and I thought, okay, well, I need to read some Claire Louise Bennett. And so that's the one I chose. I'm not good at Chosen Pond, but I chose this one. So so can I can I ask, because I think I, yes. I, I think I have the answer for me, but do you find, especially as you, you know, you review, like you don't just read books, you review books yes. um, for, for places. Do you, do you feel like, like, oh, the time for Pond has passed? That's an old. Now I need to read the new one. Yes. Like is, does that? It, it does. It happen? does happen. Yes. It, would I, so you know what it is? Okay. Let me explain. Okay. So yes, the, the time has passed, but it will come again in about thirty years. <laughs> so if you don't read a book within a year of publication, it's gone until the test of time proves that maybe it's worth reading. Correct. 
Exactly. Ah, exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Interesting. So, so when, uh, yeah, so like um, when Bennett, you know, builds up a huge career and has seven or eight books out, of which I might have read four or five, and everyone's talking about it, you go, you know what, I'm going to go back to Pond. This could be a decade and, later. And fill in the it's gaps. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's when. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, right now it's dead to me. I think I I think I feel some of that same I wouldn't say pressure but maybe impetus like it it does feel that if you if you've not read the book as it's kind of like not necessarily like immediately but within a year or two once it gets past its first release date and and maybe any awards contention any sort of that it's not even necessarily that I consciously like come to the conclusion that well that's probably not worth reading anymore. It's just like it's like an aura around the book. It it's true. Old, which is stupid. It's it is. so dumb. But yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one. It is. But let's be honest. Uh, there's. I'm going to read what probably 75 books this year, hmm. and that doesn't even come close. There are hundreds, the, I mean, hundreds. We all know there's a million books yeah. published every year, but of the books that I would love to read, I'm talking about. There I'm not still talking about, hundreds. Correct. I'm not talking yeah. about the million books out there. Oh, duh. I'm talking about the books that I have actually bought on Kindle that I think are going to be important, really good books, and I'm just never going to get to them. And they will vanish into the – well, I'll stay on my Kindle, and maybe one day, 10 years from now, I'll go, you know what, I better pick up that book. Better read that one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, and I don't know if part of it is just the the constant barrage of – shall we say, new content that we are bombarded with. Like, here's the new thing, here's the new thing, here's the new thing. And you you can't keep up with all the new things. So when a new thing becomes an old thing, it's like, well, well, I don't even have to keep up with that anymore. That's done. It's it's finished. I didn't – I missed that window. It's like there's this merry-go-round of things, but not a merry-go-round because that's circular, like just a train of stuff that's constantly – Like a sushi train, a sushi train that's constantly going past and you grab the thing you want and if you don't, well, it's, it's gone and you're probably going to miss it anyway because someone on the other side of the table will grab it. Anyway, like it's a bad analogy, people. I realise that. I'm sorry. So, so to give an example, one of the, bo- the book <laughs> I won't say what the book is yet, but one the book we're reading it, one of the, the book I chose for next month, mm. I was worried I'd miss it if I didn't choose it for next month because I'm I was, it's an author I want to read and I'd read her short story collection and but I was worried because the book's actually out already and, I, and it's getting to that point where. That aura. If you don't, yeah. So the sushi train is going to the other side of the table. Correct, and grab your back. dish or lose it ain't, it. it ain't coming back. So anyway, it's so weird. It is, but I I apologise to people for no, that, that, that's, the sushi no, 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 train metaphor think, in the world. I'm not but, proud, but it's a spot on metaphor, and I think you will find that most of our <laughs> listeners have go through the same experience. So. I mean, look, the days also, let's be honest, the days of, you know, picking up, let's say, a book by Christy Demeester, enjoying it and going, you know what, I'm now going to binge Christy Demeester. For me, those days died I know, 20 years ago, I feel like, 10, 15 years ago. I, th- I, think, I think they have died for me, but I am, my brain is still refusing and my heart is still refusing to acknowledge that. So I will still read a, a book by an author who is new to me and love it and go, oh, my God, like Katriona Wood, right? Yeah. Uh, this author's amazing. I'm going to read everything they've done. And I will genuinely mean it, but I will never go back and read those other books unless they come along on the sushi train again. <laughs> It's really sad what's happening to me. <laughs> but, I mean, like there's, um, you know, even even an author like Anne Quinn, who's mentioned in Checkout 19, whose 
Book Berg, I think, is a remarkable oh, and she's astonishing. Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, she's she died. Oh, she died the year I was born. Yeah, yeah. She's actually Kirsten uh, Reed Berg uh, uh, and read Anne Quinn. I, I think she and read about her life. She's a fascinating uh, person. Anyway, um, I have not read. So Quinn has didn't publish much, but I have all of it and I haven't read any of it. Now, some people will say, "Oh, it's because you, you want to keep it for so it doesn't you don't you know you don't go through it all and you don't waste it and you know you." No, that's it. not it. It's a, no, no. It's just like no, I've just moved. Yeah, I don't know. I don't moved on. The or sushi train has moved on. Sushi train, <laughs> sushi train has moved on. Anyway, so let's talk about uh, checkout nineteen. Yes, let us talk about that. Let, let's get to the point. This is what, by the way, this is one of those novels that uh, reviewers will say, and, and I'm talking about the the schmicky reviewers, the ones who really know how to review books, and will say that this is a book that resists plot or narrative. That's what the, that's the, the phrase they'll use. A book that resists. I would agree with that. Well, I would agree with plot. Wouldn't agree with narrative. Yes. Okay. So, in a working class town in a county west of London, a schoolgirl scribbles stories in the back pages of her exercise book, intoxicated by the first sparks of her imagination. As she grows, everything and everyone she encounters become fuel of a, for a burning talent. The large Russian man in the ancient, ancient maroon car who careens around the grocery store where she works as a checkout clerk and slips her a copy of Beyond Good and Evil, the growing heaps of other books in which she loses and finds herself, even the derailing of a friendship in a devastating violation. The thrill of learning to conjure characters and scenarios in her head is matched by the exhilaration of forging her own way in the world, the two kinds of ingenuity kindling to a brilliant conflagration. And blah, blah, blah. Then there's all the, you know, usual. Yes. That is far... That's a really, really good summary. ...more linear than what the book actually is. Because <laughs> the book is not even remotely that... So the book is essentially structured around seven chapters. Okay. But in a sense, they all could stand alone. So that's, that's number one. Number two, the middle chapter, not chapter well, it's actually chapter three, is essentially a, a freestanding novella of which the other... That is an astonishing It's chapter. It's one of the great pieces of writing. I really, honestly, and I know I make a lot of stupid sweeping statements, but... but uh, won't won't you won't you bring in the birds is 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 as best as better as a thing I've read ever in my life. Anyway, the other six chapters essentially centre around that core. They they, they they circle around in orbit around that core because they're all smaller. Uh, but it really it you know in a sense, and while I wouldn't do this, you could remove the other six. You can't to, to be clear. You actually can't. The book is a book. But you, if you if you were just given, won't you bring in the birds? You would have an extraordinary experience reading because it is just amazing. It is, it is a wonderful piece of writing. Well, Tarquin Superbus is the best fictional character, <laughs> both both the best name for a fictional character and the best fictional character ever. And that's it. That's it. I'm 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 ending there. But really, what this book is is, in many respects, like such a pretty smile. <laughs> See, there is a connection. It's okay. No, well, with less horror creature things, um, it's about uh, female expression, female art, female creativity. It's a, it's, it's okay, okay, it's all a, right, yeah, lo- yeah, I'll give Thank you that you. one. Thank you. It's a, and this one is specifically a, a life lived through books and, and then, then writing inspired right. by that fiction with an opening chapter, which is actually also pretty damn brilliant. If, in fact, you'll know you'll like this book if, um, you are okay with the opening chapter. And if you're not, eh, 
<laughs> but then I actually think week. if you don't like the opening <laughs> chapter of Checkout 19, then you don't read books. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I'm cool. going gonna, gonna to stick with it because it is, literally, it is literally about the act of reading. That is what that chapter is. And it's there are some hilarious bits in it too about – I'll let you go. In, but, you know, there's, there's hilarious yes. bits about – which is sort of foreshadow what we're about to experience, which is, you know, how, and I have the same thing where you read a book and you read a few pages and you think you're going to get the flow of the novel and you never do. And you stop reading it and you pick it up another time. You try again and you stop reading it. I mean, there's a whole bit about that. It's genius. Um, anyway, go ahead, Kirsten. I was just going to say, people, you know, they may not like it because of the style. They may not like it because of, you know, you just may not like that style of writing and that is valid that's a valid preference can i read that reader. section please sure like seriously if you, let me just read it quite often we are so reluctant to acknowledge that this makes any difference we carry on reading and this is about you know sense with a book we carry on reading we carry on yep. that's right even though we can't make head nor tail of what we are reading we carry on regardless because we are vaguely convinced that surely if we keep going, the way these current sentences relate to all the sentences we've already read will actually sooner or later make itself perfectly apparent. We don't get very far. No, we don't. We nearly always flick back. We do. And we are nearly always surprised by how much salient detail was in fact contained in the last few lines on the previous right page. And we are surprised even further by a very unreasonable thought that comes to us from who knows where which proposes that the typesetter of the book is really quite irresponsible that they should allow such important <laughs> sentences to appear at the very end of the right page. Surely the typesetter must be aware that many people derive a great deal of pleasure from turning pages, turning pages, and as such cannot be expected to read the last couple of lines and all the right pages with constant diligence. You would have thought so. Turning the page, turning the page. That is drop the mic <laughs> shit right there. First off, it's true. Tell me that doesn't resonate with you. <laughs> the, but the particular thing of not reading everything on the bottom of the page you're about to turn, but that the most I, I don't think I have ever well, done that. No, no, it's happened to me with like, like, you feel like the most important bit of plot or bit of detail is on that last <laughs> sentence and you go and you've turned and your brain hasn't picked it up. And you're like, wait, what? That's happened to me. I, well, of course it's happened. <laughs> I don't think... I don't think that's happened to me. It may, it may have happened, like, I, in terms of the location of the words on the page, no. It has happened to me in terms of, like, hang on, when did we find out? Oh, right, right, three pages ago. Oh, just skimmed over that. But the yes, that has happened it, to me. But not in terms of the she location. She the typesetter, not the author. That's, I know. And it's just... Oh, like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you not put that in bold type? It was important. It's... I mean, you laughed while I read that. I mean, that's the point. It, and it is. This is a really funny book, incredibly funny. Um, did you not like Kirsten? Is actually, that what you to? You didn't like it? No, oh, I good, loved it. God. I loved it. I adored this book. What I was saying is this is a really, it's a funny, funny book. There's like almost on every page there's something where you at least chuckle. Or smile, right? It's funny, but it's actually not a humorous book because as she peels away, like she 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 guides you in on these clouds of it's funny, and I'm going to make all these funny and poignant and true observations, and it's just going to be a fun read, and, and and it is. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, but look at this horrible thing. It's like, ah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Holy shit! How dare you show me that? Like, because there, there is some, re yeah, like all the way through, but especially in the last third of the book, some 
really awful stuff happens. And then you you realise that this character who's been narrating this book all the way through, part of this character's armour for living in the world as a woman is this humour, is this wry sense of self-observation and observation about the world. That is part of how she copes with the world. It's really interesting. It's, oh, it is such a good book. And what is really interesting for me is that I, you know, you talk about um, resistance before, and I know you're talking about resisting plot and narrative and so on, but it was funny because it did take me, I would say, a good portion of that first section to stop resisting what the book was doing. Because yeah. <laughs> I kept trying to get a handle on the book in terms of like, okay, what is this story? Where is, what is, where is this plot going? What, what is this book trying? And I, and it slipped away and it wasn't until I went, Oh, Oh, I get it. This is like, stop, stop trying to do, just let the book happen. Just let the book happen. But it does Kirsten. warn you. It does tell you that this is exactly what, you know, and I know I don't <laughs> listen to that. I'm still going to try to find out what the damn book's about as early as fucking possible. <laughs> And, it, and I, I literally, literally explicitly had the conversation with myself that just stop. Let the book happen. Just, this book just needs to happen to you. And it did. And as soon as I made that switch in my mind and stopped trying to, like, uh, you know, for want of a better phrase, understand what the book was doing, it's the most marvel, marvellous literary experience it, because it really is, like, um, the thing I equate it to is like just having this long conversation with this person about, you know, literature and books and reading. And books and written by women, importantly. And feminism. Feminist books. Yeah, and, and but, but yeah. feminism and, and, how, and how you grow into that as a young woman because it, it was so reflective of my experience where, you know, as as a teenager and a young woman, so so I, I'm not going to be ghettoized, and I'm and I'm going to read books by men because they're more important, and and you know, and all of the like all of those conversations, it was like having, and it was like having a conversation, um, and even though it's a book, so it's like I can't actually talk to it, but I did because the most incredible thing. F- for my reading experience of this book, and I'm, I talked a little bit very early in the podcast about how, you know, when you read, your mind goes off on tangents. That's what was happening all yep. the way through. And it felt to me, it felt authentically like a conversation with this character. It felt like sitting up all night with glasses of wine and talking about shit. And I got to talk too, because this book allowed me, it provoked memories, it provoked responses in me. And because it's a book, um, and I don't know if it would work with an audio book, certainly not for me. As I've said, I'm not an audio book reader. Nothing against audio books. They're great if you, if you can consume that way. I can't. So for me, I don't think it would work as an audio book because the book would continue. But with a written book where I could just pause and think about something, go, oh, my God, that reminds me of that. Or, oh, my God, I did that too. Or I thought something like that. Or it felt like this conversation and the best books for me are books that do that and allow me to have that conversation with myself, but also with the book. It was it was just amazing. Um, and I felt so close to this narrator. And so, like I said, staying up all night, drinking wine, talking about shit. That is exactly what this reading experience I, was like. Okay, so it wasn't exactly that for me, but 
it was close. It was pretty close. I mean, obviously, as a as a as a bloke, uh, I, I have a different experience when it comes to reading. And I and I've only come. What's interesting is that I've only come to some of the authors that she references, like Anne Quinn, like Clarice Lispector, like Annie uh, Erno, um recently, like only in the last literally three or four years. When I was 15 or, well, 12 to 20, I would never have touched those books, ever. Wouldn't, it wouldn't be seen, in, you know, but wouldn't have a bar of them because mm. I was a boy <laughs> and Stephen King and Dean Koontz and blah, 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 yeah. Now, I mean, I've read Clarice Lispector for the first time and although I read probably her most complex and complicated and incomprehensible book, it was still an extraordinary experience. Like I said, Berg by Anne Quinn is just remarkable. It's amazing. And how was this not in my life when I was, and I probably wasn't ready for it back then, but I read it at the right time. But, yeah, and, and I have a lot of Annie Erno and I've only read a little bit and she's amazing too. And, 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 I, and, I, and this is what this book is sort of reminding me of where I am now, so you know, in a in a sense, it's it, it's a book about this this young girl's and now an older woman's journey in reading and writing, etc. But it's a reminder of where I also have come from, you know, in my reading experience, in my mm. journey, and and that's I just don't didn't expect this book to anything like this. It's just so different and unique. Yeah. And I'll finish on the point that it it doesn't really. I mean, it is does have a story. There is a story. But it is this. Mm-hmm. But it is Absolutely. the sort of book that certain. Again, going back to my earlier point, certain people would say, "Oh, it, it's pretentious. It's no plot. It's just a whole lot of words and a whole lot of uh, navel gazing," and yet would miss the point. And I know I've created a straw man, so except that I've created a straw man, but it is a straw <laughs> man though, based on many of a person I've seen on on the social medias, uh, and, and and would miss the point that. Um, actually, these are the books that remind us why we love reading so much, and why we why we do why we do this podcast, why we talk about literature, why I write reviews, mm. why we talk about literature. It's books like this. This is it, and and, and it's just this is it. This is it. This this was. Oh, it, it, I just as I said, I I just loved. I feel like I've gotten a reading list as well. <laughs> I, I I was looking at my highlights before because I read this one on on Kindle. I think I need to. I feel like this is a book I need to buy, like in physical form. I feel like I want to see a spine on my shelf. Um, but half of the highlights were, were just names of authors or books that I want to chase up. Yeah, because it won- <laughs> was like, and, and again, it felt to me like someone just going, oh, 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 well, you would love this book. Oh, you should read it. You would love this book. It wasn't like, oh, if you don't read this, then you're not smart. Or if you don't read this, you're not part of the elite. It, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like, here's a list of books I've read to show you how important I am and how well, well read and learned I am. It didn't feel like that. It felt like, oh my goodness, here's my reading journey. And oh, if you like this, oh, you would love this, but you should read this book. You would love it. You would love it. And it's like, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Um, I will, I will read the book. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Claire Louise. <laughs> it sounds great. I'll make a note of it. I may never get back to reading it, but I'll yeah. make a note of it. And, and you feel as well that a lot of these books are what kept the character grounded during some really fucking awful periods of her life, you know. And yeah. um, I mean, she literally escapes into reading. She she implies or, or literally says. Well, that I think it's it's, it's it's a room with a view. Forces a room with a view where she basically goes with a friend and tours some of the similar spots as a room with a view, and that's just—I mm. mean—that's just wonderful. I, I wish I could do that. I've only done that with Doctor Who. Gone to, do- <laughs> gone to, <laughs> gone to England and gone to old Doctor Who uh, site locations. I've never done that with literature. 
I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever had the urge to do that with something from a book. I think because even if a book is set in geographically in the, the real world, that location, even if I went there, is not going to be the book. Which I sort of think is what the character sort of comes to that conclusion to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've never actually felt that urge because I think like even, even not having had the experience of going to somewhere where a book was set and going, oh, this isn't the place. I just, I just know that that's what would happen. So I don't really feel, I've, I've never really felt the urge to, to go to a place where a book is set and go, oh, wow, this is, oh, look, they've even described the exact church that's at the end of that road. And that's the park. Like, like I don't, it won't be that place. It won't be that place. It is a place it's been modeled on but it's not the place of the book. Um, so it is interesting. But there were, there were so many things um, that, that the narrator talks about that were, it's like at so many points, they're like, oh, my God, you do that too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, someone else does this. Someone else has thought that or felt that. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Like with that whole section, like expanded sections because she comes back to it over and over, where she's misremembered a key fact of a book that yeah, she Yeah, it it it's forced as a room of the view. That's the one that she keeps returning to. Yeah. Yeah, and she's just misremembered this key thing and she goes back and rereads the book after a while and she goes, oh, my God. It's not even the thing that I have remembered all these years as being so important and so intrinsic. I got it. I've remembered it wrong. And it's like, oh, my God, I have done that. I have done that. <laughs> I think we've all done that as readers for books that we, you know, we, we think we've remembered something. And it's like, oh, actually, no, <laughs> that's, that's quite wrong. Or, or it's not even it's just not as I remembered it. Like it just reminds us how much of a of a book, how much of a literary work is actually created in our own heads. Like it doesn't exist. It is ink on paper or it is e-ink on, on a screen until we read it. And that thing we create in our head is not the thing that the author has written. Yeah, look, and um, we haven't even spoken properly about Tarkin's Superbus and his library. <laughs> <laughs> also, from, from with an Aussie accent, it sounds even weirder. Tarkin Superbus uh, with, a, with, with a, you know, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> It should be Tarkin Superboss um, at at his library of thousands and thousands of books, which he buys, and they're all and they're all blank. blank. But they also except they hide the one of them hides the secret of of, was it life itself or whatever. Anyway, it's just it's this sort of there'll be there'll be one line in one of those blank books. And you can't even pay like a hundred people to go and read them and find yeah. that line for you because it's it's only it's only going to be for the person who you know like that line will be different for anyone yeah, who looks correct. in this library. So if you want to find the line for you, you have to do it. You have to look every single all book. of these thousands of or hundreds of books, page by page, to and, find and, the line. And it's these flights of fancy, uh, this, these moments of imagination that just it just gives the book such a different texture and tone. You go, wow, what is this? What is this creation that you have done here, Claire Louise? Ben? But it but it fits in the it fits in the whole thing. But it oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because that is what her whole yes. thing is about. It is like like reading is Everyone. individual to Correct. everybody, and what you take away from books is different Correct. for everybody. And your life will be be shaped by what you read, and it will be different. And you can read the same book as someone else and get something different from it. So you can't pay a hundred million people to read all the books and come back to you with a, with a report because the, the, they won't be your books. You won't have read them. 
so other people's so I mean what I said earlier Kirsten was you know that, that um, and you corrected me and you were right and it was rude that if you didn't like the first chapter of this book you don't obviously read books or something like that and and, and but what this book tells us and teaches us is shut up Ian that's not the right way of looking at this. Uh, I mean, clearly, if you don't like uh, check out nineteen, I don't want to be your friend. But still, but that being being that as a mate, <laughs> be that as a mate, we all come to books differently, and in in a sense, that's a banal uh, sort of thing that we should all know. Because I mean, duh, obviously, we all have different subjective experiences of books. But oh my god, it's said so profoundly in this novel, and in a way that I've never seen it done before, and. Oh, I love this book. Even if she does have a terrible boyfriend in the second, in the last oh, third. It's just it, awful. I think his name's Dale and he says women don't understand poetry. It's, it's uh it's awful. Awful, awful, awful. What person. is it with men? <laughs> a certain type of men. Not, hashtag not all men. <laughs> don't come for us. Um, <sighs> I think what's, like you said, like the idea that reading is subjective is, is a banal thing to say. Um, I don't think, I mean, it may be, but I think a lot of us have forgotten that. I think a lot of us have forgotten about the subjectivity and because you see so many debates around, well, you know, what you say is stupid because this is what it is. And it's like, well, maybe it was that for the other person. And you can miss things and you can misinterpret stuff as well. But books, films, everything that we, all this artistic product that we make, um, they're fundamentally different for every person who consumes them. Fundamentally different. And I don't necessarily think that's a banal thing to say. I think but by thinking it is like, oh, well, of course, it actually leads the profundity of that that I don't think a lot of us really grapple with regularly. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a banal thing at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And one one thing I would say: first off, everyone should read this book. <laughs> so, number one. But number two, this is a book because of everything that you've just said. Is a book that you should take your time with, and I know it's mm. difficult to do that. Especially, I mean, I, I I have so much to read for reviewing and that it's hard. But I really did what I did to, to rather than take my time. What I did is I spent long times with the book. Like, you know, so I spent a bit longer reading than I would normally just to appreciate. And I, I actually read on Goodreads a few books. I do check Goodreads from time to time. Some people who'd spent like four or five weeks reading this book, even though it's not long, it's very short, just to eke out everything that's that's there because there is so much there and it is a book that is worthy of that. Um, I had fully intended to reread this um, because I'd read it uh, qu- quite early in the month and then I was going to read Such a Pretty Face and had time to reread it and I was going to do that before the podcast, but I got sick. <laughs> so that didn't happen. But I really I really do want her to reread it. I, I think, like, there's, as I said, there's so much, I think, that I connected with personally. And one of the things, like, it sounds minor, but one of the things was that when I realised, so the first chapter as you would have gleaned perhaps from Ian's um, extract that he read is told in first person plural but it's not a a collective we in the sense that it encompasses multiple people which when you first start reading you might think and I I did think I think is this is this the narrator and their siblings for example or the narrator and their friends who who are the we but then I realized fairly quickly that oh no no this is just the narrator is referring to themselves in the first person plural. 
And then it was like, oh my God, I do that. And I have never seen that written down anywhere. Like I talk to myself. And when I say I talk to myself, I am two different people having a conversation and I will often say things to myself like, so what do we have to do today? Or we should really do this now. I talk to myself in first person plural and I have never seen that anywhere. And it was like, oh my God, it was like, I'm not the only one. (laughs) And of course I know I must not be the only one, but I have never seen that represented in art anywhere in this specific way, exactly how I, my internal, well, they're not even monologues, my internal dialogues go, never seen it. It was like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) And the whole um, first chapter is this extended first person plural monologue. It's great. That's one of the things that her ability to sustain a certain style for long periods is like that novella bit with Tarkin, my favorite person ever. uh, (laughs) Because a lot of it is long paragraphs and she just sustains it and you never mm. lose your thread. You, know, you don't actually blame the typesetter because she takes, she just is so brilliant at yeah. taking you along. And um, that, like the conceit of that section too. So, the, um, so this story about Tarquin Superbus is, you know, it's the story that she, the narrator has written, the narrator wrote this story about Tarquin Superbus yeah. when she was very young and has, has lost it. It's a lost manuscript. So she is both recreating this story in this chapter and talking about what she felt when she wrote that story and why she was writing it and trying to remember that part of herself and trying to remember the story, but then also extending the story, but also talking about what she was reading at around the time she was writing. Like it's just this amazing multi-layered chapter about reading and writing and trying to recover lost work and how you can't. So the thing that you're writing now isn't the story that you wrote back then because you can't, so you're recreating it. And it's just, it's a phenomenal piece of writing. It's a magic trick. I don't know if it does it. I don't think you can reverse engineer that chapter and figure out how, you know, some, sometimes <laughs> authors do that. I don't think you could do it with that chapter. It's just just extraordinary. Yeah. As you said, it's phenomenal. It really yeah. is. Oh, look, I, I, don't have, I, I don't have much more to say about I, I just want people to read Checkout 19, okay? That's what yeah. I want. It, it is a really, really excellent, intelligent, well-structured, unbelievably structured, actually, book because I said at the very beginning, like you said, it doesn't have beginning, middle and end. And like it does, it has all those things, but it, it's just this reiteration of all those things because the narrator keeps coming back to elements which are ultimately revealed of what they are and that I'm not going to spoil what happens in that place. Um, in the park near the end like when when it happens and when she tells you what what happened it's almost like not that we knew but we we expected it because there has been these foreshadowing echoes of of something through the like it's just it's like i said this this is a book that will 100 percent reward rereading and i fully intend to to do that i think since i've decided to do it and i I missed my opportunity before the podcast i may not just buy a physical copy what about the sushi train oh i i think this one just fell on the table and it's just there forever now (laughs) just next to me (laughs) 
Just there. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering whether rereading fits. He fits with the sushi train metaphor, or is it just new reading a book for the first time? I don't think. I don't think rereading does. It's just I seldom have a lot of time to reread. Yeah, fair enough. Because it's like if if we want to really belabor that metaphor, it's just like being really, really slow to eat that dish you took off the train. So the train zips past you three more times and you've missed out on three other dishes you could have taken. Let's never use that <laughs> metaphor ever again. Okay, well, on oh, that note, I feel, I, feel like, feel... I feel like that metaphor is here to stay, unfortunately. Correct. I'm very sorry. I feel like that this discussion <laughs> of Checkout 19 has reignited my need to get back on the train and read Pond. Even though I know Pond is different, mm. uh, I, I, I just feel like Pond clearly he's been... Um, because I, 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 I looked at I, if I remember correctly, what I read is that it's it's more uh, like inter, like short stories, which may or may not be interlinked. Is they that, are no, it's an interlinked. It's in, yeah. set in one spot, I think somewhere in Ireland, and it's all interlinked short stories. Okay, yes, yeah. correct. Cool. It does sound like right up my alley as well. So I think I might have to. And also has a slightly magic real flavour to it. <sighs> hmm. I just I, I just this book is just amazing, and I I am hundred percent on board for for what this author writes because I think she is such a a clever and reflective writer she this is a really thoughtful book but I, and I, go, I go back to what I said at the beginning if you are going to read it which which I think a lot of people should just let it happen to you just let the yes. book happen just let it, let it flow let it flow <laughs> it will it will it will reward you if you Sub- do that submit to the book <laughs> submit correct correct submit <laughs> Okay, so next month, two books, one novella, one novel, I believe. I've chosen Help Meet, which is a novella by Narbon Ruthnum, which is uh, by Undertow Publications, which is one of my favourite small presses at the moment. They're doing astonishingly good and interesting books, so I'm really looking forward to reading this one. I believe you've already read it, Ian. It is quite short, so... It is very short, and spoilers, it's uh, great. No, no, spoilers, it's great. I really enjoyed it. So, uh, yes. Oh, well, we don't have to do next episode. We've done it now. Um, anyway, so that was that was my choice. Uh, spoilers. And Ian has chosen Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield, which I have not heard of. So I am looking forward no, to it. No, so I that. reviewed Julia Armfield's Julia Armfield short story collection, I don't know, last year, two years, who knows, sometime during COVID. <laughs> uh, and I really enjoyed it. And, uh, yes, I thought I'd choose uh, her debut nouvelle. Fantastic. I am looking forward to reading them both. Hopefully I will be able to read them both and my COVID-addled brain won't throw too many spanners in the works. Just before we go, not that I want to embarrass Ian, but I am going to mention that you have been nominated for a William Atheling Award, uh, which is part of the – Ditmar sort of slate of awards, but it is not a Ditmar. It is a separate award for criticism and review. <laughs> yes. It's for my locust stuff, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, and nice. thank you for people who nominated me. That was very nice of them. I did not expect it at all. So, um, yes, I'm quite chuffed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, if I don't, and if I don't win, I'll be devastated, obviously. Oh, dear. Well, I think, I think they're announced at uh, Conflux this year, which is the first last weekend of September slash first weekend well, of October. Well, if, if, if I do win, unlikely, if I do win, because I'm actually up against some really, really, really amazing people. The, so, the Athling is traditionally a very competitive field. <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, yeah, it, yeah, anyway, if I do, you can accept on my behalf. There you go. Oh, okay. Can I get to keep the trophy? <laughs> No, uh, but okay. you can accept on my behalf. So, uh, yeah. Fabulous. I will do. I will do that. 
Um, and if you don't, and when's hard places say, out? I will just. Oh, hard places when's is hard... out. It's out. Okay. It was out in July. Oh, sorry. And <laughs> that, well, but, well, I want to mention it again. It's great. Yay! Well, this is our first podcast. Yes, it's... since since it because we we have been delayed. No, it came out in um, late July, so it is out. I'm very happy. I haven't seen the physical book yet, but I, my contributor copies are probably still on their way. Um, but my mother has seen it because <laughs> she ordered one, <laughs> and she says it's a lovely book physically. So, um, which is nice because it's not a lovely book inside. It's a bit horrible, but um, in a good way. That's a good. That's a good. Yes, that's that is accurate. As, as someone who has read it, that is very accurate. Uh, so, that is us. We are wrapped up. Um, my voice has managed to survive. I don't know about my brain. We'll see. I think, given given your situation, this was actually a really good episode. <laughs> what the uh, listeners don't know is how much I've edited out. <laughs> d- d- yeah. No. Um, uh, well, look. I think you should have the outtakes. I think it'd be quite funny. Oh my goodness! I'm just—I probably won't put them in because I do think it is disrespectful. But the amount of outtakes I had to do for one of the books that we are doing next month because I could not read it off the page—it's just ridiculous. Anyway, hopefully my brain will come back online at some point. Um, apologies for the belated episode this month. We had some scheduling issues, and the next two episodes will also probably be closer to the end of their months as we have some. Uh, stuff that is happening in the early part of the months um, that will mean we can't record. But we are done. I think we're done. I think, oh no, I haven't read. See, this is why I need today. I just need everything on the sheet. So as usual, <laughs> you can send feedback by commenting at the website, which is writerandcritic.podbean.com. You can send an email to writerandcritic at gmail, or you can follow at writerandcritic on Twitter, where you'll probably get Ian responding to you maybe. And of course, thank you to all of our wonderful patrons on Patreon. If you can, it would be lovely to have your sponsorship. And of course, you can always comment on Patreon. Um, I apologize if you've commented recently, because for some reason, my notifications were turned off. Off. Very sorry about that. They turned on again now, so I should see comments as they come through. But if I don't reply in a timely fashion, it's probably because Patreon didn't tell me you've made a comment. And that's it. We're done. I might go back to bed and have a nap, <laughs> even though it's not even midday, because that, that is my life now. I'm going to go have burgers with Josh. That's what I'm Oh, that about. sounds so much. Well, you know what? Actually, it doesn't, because the other thing COVID has done is kind of robbed me of my appetite. So just by oh. automatically, I was about to say, oh, that sounds really good. And then my body went, no, it doesn't. A nap sounds really good. You don't want to eat burgers at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, I'm not, oh, okay, well, it's 11.30 and I wasn't going to go for no, this me. second. Like me. I, I, okay. I, like, it's like my body's like, no, we don't want that. Go have a nap. <laughs> so enjoy your nap. I'm going to enjoy my burgers. And uh, that's it for us. Bye. Awesome. Bye, everyone. You know, we should do a, an episode of a book that we have actually read 10 years ago and not reread it. <laughs> oh, my God, that would be, yeah. And just uh, talk about what we remember of the book. No, nah, yeah. Oh, and that's the first half of the episode, and then we stop recording, and we go away and read the book, and then come back and record the second actually, half. Actually, that would be brilliant. <laughs>